For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Denver 7's Troy Rank. First, let me thank you all for the support you gave the first podcast that dropped on Tuesday. In that podcast, we talked some quarterbacks. Uh, We talked a lot of quarterbacks, but go back and listen to that one if you haven't had a chance. And again, I appreciate the support. Today, we're going to switch it up a little bit. What if the Broncos do not get a quarterback in the first round of the draft? What does that mean for the team? And we will be joined later by my first guest here on the Believe in Broncos podcast, none other than the Hall of Famer safety Steve Atwater. Steve and I chop it up every Friday night on Denver 7 on Broncos Minute. We have way more than a minute to talk today as he covers things from his career, big moments, best players he played against, and which one of his Super Bowl rings does he wear the most. So we'll get into all that. But first, let's get this program started, shall we? So I know you all want to talk quarterbacks. We all do. What if the Broncos don't get one at nine, though? We think they might, but we're not sure. And talking to sources, even late this week, the Broncos are still doing their draft day preparations and putting their draft board together. They have yet to fall in love with one of the quarterbacks enough to move up from nine the way it's been described to me. So that means there's a possibility there one won't be there. But they were a presence at Ohio State Justin Fields' second pro day. Pat Shermer was there. This is not by accident. He's there for a reason because they've had a wandering eye at quarterback this entire offseason. And I was told, again by source, expect the Broncos to have a presence at Trey Fields' second, uh, excuse me, Trey Lance's second pro day. Uh, They've already had George Payton watch him. George Payton was not at uh, Fields' pro day, and he will not be at Lance's because of the draft day preparation. It's really a 12 to 14-hour day as they're putting together their draft board. And that's really how these things work. You make the best decisions when you get the board ready and you don't need jerk reaction, but you create all scenarios, best case, worst case, and maybe it falls somewhere in between. But if they don't trade up, and I don't know that they will yet, and if Mac Jones goes third, that leaves that place you'd have to move to four because I think the Atlanta Falcons are advertising their intention that they love quarterbacks and want to stack the room, but they really don't and they want to trade out of that spot. So maybe that's the Patriots, maybe that's the Bears, maybe that's the Steelers, or maybe it's the Broncos. Broncos could trade up to five. Bengals rarely ever trade. So I don't see that as a possibility. But at seven and eight, are those places they could make a move with the Lions or the Panthers who recently acquired Sam Darnold? Again, all possibilities. I think the Broncos, I've been told they're open to all options, including if Mac Jones were to be there. They're open to all these quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. But for this discussion today, what if they don't move up and all the quarterbacks are gone? 
So they're sitting there at nine. Where do they go? Well, I think at that point, they'd have a chance for the best defensive player on the board, and that is Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. This is a unique athlete in terms of his size and his speed. You're talking about a guy who could play inside and outside in the NFL, a true three-down linebacker, which frankly, the Broncos have not had since the days of Danny Trevathan and to a lesser degree, Brandon Marshall. But Parsons, 6'3", 246, he ran a 4'3", at his Penn State Pro Day. I mean, that is just eye-popping. You know, this is a guy who loves contact, that combat of it, the physicality of it. And could he cover? I'm not saying first day NFL, he's going to be covering Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Like, come on, let's be real here. Because he played a lot of zone coverage at Penn State, but he has the capability to be an outside rusher and an inside player. And again, a three-down linebacker is of immense value as we've seen with the Broncos over the years because they just have not had that position. The other option there is you stay there and you take Patrick Sertan, uh, the cornerback from Alabama. He's obviously got the pedigree. His dad played in the NFL for several years. He is as polished as the corner as you're going to see come out of the draft. Does he have the high-end speed that some of the other corners do and maybe the the ceiling that some of them do? Perhaps not, but to me he looks like a Pro Bowl corner, which is, again, extremely valuable in the NFL in a pass-happy league where every team is going to throw 35 times a game, it feels like, you got to have at least three good corners. So why would they go corner after signing Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller? Well, essentially, Fuller's on a one-year deal. He is. And Bryce Callahan as well. So if they were to move on from Callahan and Fuller, you've got a person like Sertan sitting there. Maybe you combine him with Darby, and then you got Michael Ojemudia in his third year. So there's still an argument if you're sitting there to take corner, but my guess is they would prefer linebacker because of the way they address corner this off season. But what if they don't stay at nine? What if they move back? And that's not out of the question. If you look at the draft history of George Payton as the assistant GM, when he was in Minnesota, a lot of times they acquired picks. And I mean, they just like to a battery of picks. So if you're not going sexy, you're not going the Ferrari that you can drive out of the car. You're trying to rationalize I can get my kids uh, baseball and soccer gear in the Ferrari. We can make this work. And you don't know if you can. And you're like, maybe we should just trade back and uh, get the truck. Get that big Ford pickup because we already have a minivan. We need a truck. And that's where like trading back at 15, you get a truck and maybe even get a trailer with it. Or you get a truck and (laughs) you get a vacation with it. You get two things for one. And that's why you would trade back is feeling like the quarterbacks are off the board. There's more value if we go to like 15 where the Patriots are or uh, back a little further and we can add a second round pick. So what would that scenario look like? Well, for me, that's where edge rusher could come into play. This isn't the greatest class for edge rushers. There's no question about that. But there are some guys that are very intriguing uh, to me when you look at who might be available around the middle of the first round. And that starts with somebody like Jalen Phillips from Miami. This was a kid that signed with UCLA, top recruit in the country, had concussion issues, uh, ended up transferring from UCLA, ends up at Miami. Last year, I saw him play multiple times. This guy has unique athletic ability. You're talking about someone 6'5", nearly 6'6", 260 pounds. He's got good get off. Uh, He's just smooth. I mean, he's just an athlete. You watch him. But is he ready for the pros? Uh, yeah, I think he is, but the, the medical feedback is ultimately going to be the huge thing here because he's a high injury pass rusher, someone I could see as a rookie coming in and giving you 15, 20 snaps a game and would cover you if this is Von Miller's last year in Denver. 
His teammate Gregory Rousseau, also another edge rusher from Miami. I, I like him as well. Again, later in the first round. And maybe someone like Michigan's Quiddy Pay. Pay has all the physical traits you want in a pass rusher. Uh, he just didn't have the production. He's 6'2", 261. He's a little different build than certainly uh, when you look at Phillips. But my issue with Pay is 11 and a half sacks at Michigan. I mean, he was never first team all conference at Michigan. I mean, that that's the hard part. Now, you would be projecting him because he's underdeveloped as a pass rusher. So you would be saying, hey, I like his hands. I like the athleticism, the twitchiness, and he's just going to get better. But you would be rolling the dice more with him. But that's a guy you keep an eye on as the first pass rusher to keep off the board uh, that could come off the board. So what if they go edge rusher there and, and a tackle wasn't available at nine? Uh, whether it was Penny Sewell or Rayshon Slater, which again, if those two on the board at nine, as much as I say they might go best defensive player, Micah Parsons, if Sewell's there at nine, I think they would have to take him. Uh, this is, again, we're saying they're not taking a quarterback in that scenario. Rayshon Slater, some believe he might be Rayshon better than Penny Sewell. I mean, Sewell for me, if he's on the board at nine, I don't think there's a hesitation that you'd probably have to take him prepare him ultimately, if not in the first year, his second year as a bookend with Garrett Bowles moving forward. But if you do pick up uh, an extra pick in the draft and you get a second rounder, a, a, a position I would think you would want to address in the second round, safety will be on that list with a Richie Grant from UCF. But what about running back Javante Williams from North Carolina? Man, this guy's like, he's stocky, a bull, 5'9", 212, it's hard to bring down. I watched him just eviscerate teams this year, including Miami's defense. But, you know, he's a guy, does he make the perfect decision at the line of scrimmage all the time? He doesn't, but he is so low to the ground and compact. You have got to really have good form to get this guy down to the ground. And he's just he's just compact. I like him. Uh, some have paired, uh, compared him to a smaller version of LeGarrette Blunt. But when you look at Melvin Gordon's situation with the Broncos, is this his last year there? I think I'd keep an eye on the running back from North Carolina if they're able to pick up a second round pick, even if they don't. Could they go safety there with a Richie Grant or and maybe even a line, uh, running back in Javante Williams? So those are some of the scenarios if the Broncos don't get a quarterback. The Broncos, again, are completely open to taking one in the first round. What we don't know is will they have the basically the bold stroke to move up because if they sit there at nine it's unlikely as we sit here today that one would be there but they're open to mac jones they're open to justin fields they're open to trey lance but are they in love with enough of one of them to move up specifically with fields or lance we don't have the answer to that yet and if they don't you've got to think micah parsons if they stay at nine patrick sertan the corner or if you trade back, you look at a pass rusher like Jalen Phillips, maybe pick up a second round pick and add a running back like Javante Williams. So that's the draft talk. But now we have a chance to talk to my first guest on the podcast, Steve Atwater, the Hall of Famer. We cover a bunch of topics. You're going to enjoy this. If you're a Broncos fan, you grew up in Broncos country, you know all about Steve. This is a chance to kind of look back at his game and his career and what he thinks the Broncos might do in the upcoming draft. Look at that right after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Believe in Broncos podcast. My first guest on the podcast, none other than the Hall of Famer, Steve Atwater. 
if there's a person nicer in the world, let alone in football, I haven't met them. Steve has, I've worked with him for the last two years on Denver 7, Broncos Minute. And today, Steve, we have a little longer than a minute to talk, but thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, Troy. Thanks for having me on your inaugural show. I'm definitely happy to be here with you, my friend. Well, Steve, the worst thing people want to talk to you about, and it's because it got delayed and interrupted, you are a Hall of Famer. That's in front of your name now. It's Hall of Famer, Steve Atwater. Now that it's been, you know, it's more than a calendar year, how has life changed for Steve Atwater since he's been elected into the Hall of Fame? What's it like? And what's the anticipation now for that ceremony coming up in Canton? Yeah, well, it really hasn't changed a lot. It's kind of like a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm tired of kind of being cooped up in the house here. I, I get out occasionally, uh, you know, we do a little bit of work from the office um, and, you know, we try to get out, my wife and I, and ride around and see some of the beautiful sights in Colorado. But uh, yeah, I haven't, just in terms of being a Hall of Famer, I haven't really been able to experience that yet, but hey, it's coming. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm patient uh, and uh, it's going to be great whenever it happens. Well, you get to go in with Peyton Manning. What yes. do you think that weekend's going to be like for Broncos country? I think it, it'll be on two separate days, if I'm not mistaken, right? Your class and then Peyton's class? Yeah, I think our class goes in on Saturday and then Peyton's class, Peyton and John, those guys, they go in on Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be crazy out there. I, I don't know how they're going to fit that many people uh, in Canton, but uh, hey, I, I, I bet stranger things have been done. Well, have you got the speech done? That's probably what everybody wants to know. Is the speech done? Are you close? Are you? you well, you like, hey, I'm, I'm about 90, 95 percent, but I'm sure it'll be tweaked some as we move, uh, get, get a little bit closer and closer to it. And, uh, you know, I'll have it uh, fine, finally tuned when when that time comes, though. I asked you this because you've been back to the Hall of Fame. You've had teammates that have gone in. And I asked you this before. Is there ever a, a Hall of Famer you met that kind of took you back a little bit to your childhood and you had an interesting story about a, a Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver. Which, who are you talking about? Lynn Swan, I think you said. Oh yeah. Before. Yeah. I met Lynn Swan. Uh, yeah, we were at a golf tournament and uh, man, I was like, wow, Lynn Swan. And you know, I, I was a Steelers fan, like I said, coming up. Um, but also, I don't know if I told you this one, but when I was in college, I was a huge Ronnie Lott fan too. And I didn't know that much about Dennis. I didn't, I didn't really follow the Broncos before I got drafted here. Uh, but man, Ronnie Lott, I knew who Ronnie Lott was. And I went, gone to a uh, NBA all-star game down in Houston, Texas. And uh, I looked up in the stands and he was sitting there on the, on the bench, man. And I was like, Oh man, I stopped. And I was with my wife. We weren't married then. And I was like, well, that, that's wait a minute. That's Ronnie Lott. I got to go say hello to him. And man, I went up and I introduced myself to him. He was the nicest guy. He, he took 10 minutes out of his time. And he just hey, he had me sit down. And he was just talking to me for 10 minutes. And man, that, mean, that meant the world to me. Uh, you know, just how, how humble he was and uh, how, how generous he was of, uh, you know, sitting down talking to a guy that he didn't know from a man on the moon. Were you, you say you were in college then? You were at Arkansas and gone? No, I just, I just, uh, what happened? Uh, I think I'd maybe just gotten drafted or the, the season was over with something, but I knew I was going into the NFL at that point. I don't, I don't think the draft had happened yet. It was kind of in between there. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw Ronnie and I was like, man, wow, I can't believe it. And he's still that same way. Whenever I see him, he's still that same great, amazing guy. So much is made about the combine and pro days now, and this year pro days are more important than the combine. What do you remember about your experience leading up to the draft, Steve? Yeah, well, just uh, you know, working out. Uh, my agent he had 
give me a good idea of the types of drills and everything that I would have to do. So, man, every day I was just doing those drills. I had the drills down. To, I knew how many steps I was going to take in between the cone drills. You know, I just I had everything down pat. Uh, so, you know, I didn't have to really think about anything once the uh, once the combine came. And uh, and then, uh, you know, my, my pro day, I remember uh, the scouts coming out and, you know, me and my buddies just out there having fun and, and, and working out. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I ran a better time than I did at the combine. Uh, so that, that definitely helped out, but it, it was just great. And, you know, I, I um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't nearly as big as it is now, just in terms of all of the media attention that it gets, but, uh, still for me, a guy who, um, uh, you know, several, you know, th- two or three years earlier, I had no idea that I would even have an opportunity to play in the NFL. So, uh, you know, I, I felt really, really blessed to, uh, be in, an op- be in, be in that position. Yeah, your your humility is so inspiring because those of us who watched you play, you were just such a force of nature. Like you reinvented a position, the way you played it at your size and your speed. And then you joined the Broncos and you told me that joining with Dennis Smith, you know, like those things that kind of shaped your career because the person I've always said, the person I know now, I can't reconcile that with the person I see on film. <laughs> I go back and watch those Broncos games. What was kind of his message to you that – and maybe you had it in you, but that just brought out that fire. You kind of described the way you played. Cause I, I think some of the younger audience, I don't know if they appreciate the intensity in which you played because they know you as Steve Atwater in the community, nicest guy, but yeah, man, did yeah. you bring the heat on the field? Yeah. Well, uh, Dennis had a mentality that he was going to, he's going to run through everybody. I'm talking about, <laughs> he's not slowing down. He's not stopping. And, and, when I came into the league, I, I couldn't really do that, you know, and I got better at it. And I, I still wasn't, you know, on the level that Dennis was with it. Um, he was just fearless with it. I know sometimes last minute I'd, you know, kind of clinch up and, you know, but uh, he, he didn't do that. He, he just ran straight through people. And uh, so I, I tried to, you know, just soak, soak in that mentality. Um, and he was a, a quiet guy off the field, uh, you know, family guy humble. Um, but he, I mean, he was very confident in his abilities and his ability to, to cover, to, to bring, bring guys down. And, you know, before a game, if you looked in his eyes, you would see, man, man, you don't want to mess with this guy. Cause he, he's for real. <laughs> <laughs> that, tra- that translated to you. Cause I said, was it an incredible Hulk transformation or just when you stepped on the field, when did you become the player we saw in the field was that in the locker room. The moment the the kickoff. When did Steve Atwater become that? You know the smile. You know what? I, I, I think it was kind of a process. You know, I had to build up to it. You know, from my drive up to to the stadium, we normally uh, be staying at the hotel, the Inverness down there. Um, uh, in in uh, is that in Inglewood? Is that Inglewood? Technically, yeah. Inglewood, I think Parker. Yeah, yeah. It's like eight cities right there. Yeah, right. So. We, we, we drive up from there and I'd have my, my music on going LL Cool J mama said, knock you out, you know, just, uh, you know, get getting, getting my, get my groove right. And then, you know, get into the locker room, get tape warmed up and, you know, going through, uh, you know, plays in my head, you know, of, of things we had gone over throughout the week. And then when we go out to warm up, uh, you know, just hey, getting bouncy, making sure I'm loose and, and warm. And then uh, when other teams came on the field, you know, Dennis Smith and I, we, we would, you know, we'd go down and take a look at the receivers and uh, we just kind of stand there and meme mug them. And like, I'd have thoughts in my mind, like, Hey, these guys are, you know, they disrespected my mom or my wife. They said something disrespectful. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get them back. 
<laughs> that is so fantastic. Well, there's one hit everyone knows you for. There's plenty, but it's the Christian Okoye hit. I, did Christian do something to upset you? I mean, how take that hit I've watched a million times on NFL films. Take kind of take me through that. Was it the leading up to that week that you had been egged on that somebody was going to knock down the Nigerian nightmare? No, but I mean, you know, he'd been running running through defenses, and you know, hey, he, he was hard, difficult for us to bring down as well. But Dennis and I, well, Dennis, he kind of took the lead on it. He's like, we got we got to get him, man. He's like, we, we got to hit him high. We can't, no, we're no going for the knees. And I looked up like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I was the younger guy. So I'm like, oh, all right, you said it. You said it. We got to do it. So, you know, and so I had the opportunity to hold open up. And, um, you know, fortunately, I came out standing up, you know, because that, yeah, it, that doesn't always happen with uh, with, with Christian Nicoya. He's, he's run over plenty of people. And I'm just, I'm blessed that I wasn't, he never got me like that. They say in baseball, like when you hit a perfect line driver home run, you don't feel anything. Did you feel anything on that hit? You pop back up, and it you is crazy. Yeah, I, I didn't even hit the ground. I didn't even go down to the ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but that was kind of one of the things that Dennis said. You run through. Don't don't leave your feet because. And then my coaches, uh, I remember a couple of my coaches saying that too. Hey, uh, when you bring your feet with you versus lunging, you lose all your power when you lunge. But if you have your feet underneath you, you have more power and. So I, I tried to stay on my feet most of the time. I didn't want to have any dirt on my on my on my uh, thigh pads. I just wanted I wanted to be clean. And you know, hey, if I took a guy down to the ground, maybe some stuff on my jersey. But um, yeah, I, I you know I I I I was fortunate to like I said be able to get him on that on that play. Have you talked to him since? Do you have any relationship with Christian? I haven't seen him in media or anything like that. Did, did you do you know him at all? You know what? I, he had contacted me several years ago. They were doing a roasting of him in California. <laughs> and, you know, Probably he asked, he called me and said, hey, Steve, man, do make a little video and send it to me. I was like, you sure, man? He's like, yeah, yeah. So, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything bad. You know, it was just, hey, you know, uh, I, I was I got him on that play and, you know, made a little fun of him. But uh, it, it was all in fun. He, he enjoyed it. And, but he's a great guy. You I mean anybody who knows him, you know, just knows his history, man. He he's an amazing person. He's done some amazing things. Uh and um, you know, I, I still I have a ton of respect for him. That's fantastic. A couple more on your own career. You guys win that Super Bowl uh and Super Bowl 32. You could have been you had a chance to be MVP. That's how well you played. You got that pick though. Yeah, exactly. What do you what do you remember about that game that week? Especially you're a huge underdog. Nobody's given you a chance. It's not unlike Super Bowl 50 with the Broncos and Panthers, you know, in terms of the, uh, the that type of underdog mentality. But I, I remember you telling me before, you were so confident. You guys kind of felt like you had the answers to the test. What what do you remember about that game now, all these years later? Yeah, I, I just remember the preparation. And uh, I remember when we left Denver, like we, we had the whole game plan in. And like, we, we got another week to prepare too. Like, okay. And and really the last couple of years, we, you know, we, we had been building and building and we just saw we, we had great coaches, uh, you know, the players were buying in and we're bringing in, you know, guys from other teams who were great players, Daniil Smiths, um, you know, um, who else came from another team? I, I keep I'm Bill, forgetting. Bill, yeah, Alfred Bill, Williams came Alfred over. Alfred Williams, Romanowski. Yeah, Bill Romanowski, those guys, Eddie Mack from, Eddie well, he, Mack. he'd been there for a little bit from uh, from San Francisco. So uh, we just 
we like we look around the room and like, man, we got players on offense, we got players on special teams, we got players on defense. Why shouldn't we win? We got great coaches and we all just got along so well, man. We 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 cared about each other. But and, it was uh, Brett Favre, Steve. You guys weren't supposed to be Brett Favre. I know, but see that, but see one, I think one of the things that got us ticked off too was leading up to the game. You know, Mike told us, hey, you know, take it easy. Don't don't talk a lot of noise. So we were being humble, like, yeah, I don't know how we're gonna stop them. You know, they got and you know, they they did have great players. We we did respect them, but then we see them when they were giving their interviews, and like, yeah, yeah, they can't stop us. We're gonna we're gonna put up 40 points. And I'm like, oh man, come on now. Yeah, I can't do that. So we were a little, I, I know I was, I was, I was, I was genuinely ticked off, man, when we stepped on the field. I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all, that's how you guys are doing us. <laughs> well, you end up with two Super Bowls. Where do you, do you, I know you wear the rings. How do you decide when to wear the rings, what ring to wear? And does the first one mean more because it's your first one? You know what? Uh, yeah, it has, it has that sentimental value like that. But the one with the two horses on it, it's a little bit bigger. And my fingers have gotten bigger since I retired. So that one is uh, that one fits the hand a little bit better. So I wear that one a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, my first one and also uh, my ring of fame ring, uh, just the emotional thing with Mr. Bowling. He, he presented that to me. Um, you know, that always have a special uh, place, you know, in, in my, in my heart and, you know, in my memories. Uh, so yeah, that means, that means a lot. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I just, whichever, whichever one I'm in the mood for, but I, I would say out of all of, I wear the, the one from Super Bowl 33 more than the other ones. Yeah. You guys clobbered them. You almost had a chance at unde- undefeated season that year. It was yeah, crazy. That, yeah, that was, the Giants that, got us. yeah. The Tito Paul, right. I mean, <laughs> poor yeah. Tito. Oh <laughs> man! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, that was a long pass too, man. It was in the, in the air for so long. I just remember seeing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, you've helped create a legacy of safeties in Denver with yourself, Dennis Smith, uh, Mike Harden. Uh, you look at John Lynch, Brian Dawkins. You got Justin Simmons here, but I, I'll ask you a little broader. Who is it you like watching at your position in today's NFL? You're around, you're at every game, every Broncos home game, and I think you're at your summer road games too, but see you every week. Who do you like watching from the safety position? Hey, I, I love our two safeties, man. I love Justin and Kareem, man. Those guys are playmakers. Um, you know, they, they, they play hard every single play. They're, they're leaders on the field. Um, and I love their leadership more than any, anybody else. And, you know, I like some of the safety, uh, Duran James from the Chargers. Uh, now, he's, he didn't play last year. And he got he got hurt the year before that as well. Uh, but he, he's a young player that I like. Um, also, uh, Jamal Adams, he's a player, just, you know, the way that, that, that he brings it. Uh, there are several young players that I like, like their game. Um, but uh, – you know, I, I just like guys who who go to the ball and and, and make plays. That's you know, and I, and I just love the hustle. I, I love to turn on the game and you know, like, oh man, I, how do you do that? That's that's what I want to see. I want to see that excitement. I always wonder what Steve Atwater been like in a league where they throw like fifty times a game because you would have had so many more opportunities for hits. You would have probably you had to be a little more careful. You might have had a fine on some Wednesdays in your locker. Uh, yeah. The way the leagues change, but. Who was the toughest receiver you had to guard or, or just match up against? Who was that guy where you think back to your career? Even, even if it wasn't a star, it's just somebody like, man, are we playing that dude again this week? No, I'm. you know what? I'm sure it probably isn't this guy, but, uh, you know, my rookie year, we went to the Super Bowl and, and we played against the 49ers and Jerry Rice, man. <laughs> this play is, is still in my mind. You know, we, we were going in, they were going in, they were, you know, driving on us. They were in our territory and, 
there was a play that we had practiced in, in practice and, uh, you know, it, it played out just the way it did in practice where Jerry Rice was crossing the field and I was coming. I just had a clean shot on him and I hit him and he just bounced off of me and ran into the end zone. And I'm sitting there on the ground like, man, how did that happen? <laughs> um, so, that, I mean, for me, that, that's frustrating. It, it was frustrating. We didn't play against the 49ers that, that frequently. Uh, but you know, th- I think that play just, you know, as a rookie that just stuck with me, but yeah, my mind, Jerry Rice is, he's the best receiver to ever, ever play. And, you know, th- not just from my experience, you know, everybody else sees it as well. Uh, he was just amazing, man. His, his work ethic, his hands, he's always in the right place at the right time. N- not, wasn't necessarily the fastest guy, but he had game speed, you know, when, on that field, nobody could catch him. That's crazy. And then running backs, people, you you face Bo Jackson, right? You face Marcus Allen. I haven't tackled him yet. I don't think I've tackled Bo Jackson yet. Come on. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't, I don't think so because I don't I don't think we played him that frequently. I don't know how many times I played against Bo actually, it's only a but I remember games. missing him at least one, maybe twice in a game, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, just it, it, it didn't didn't happen. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. Well, the well, draft he's, he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing athlete, too. As I covered him in baseball, and he was limited at that point because of the hip, and his yeah. power even then was staggering. Like, yeah. I, I mean, Deion Sanders' athletic gifts or something, but Bo was bigger. I mean, yeah, was yeah. I don't know player. how he was that big and fast, man. That was, that was just – he was a freak of nature there, boy. Yeah, I hear you. Well, the draft is approaching. Steve, if they stay at nine, you're the GM. Have some fun. What do you think the Broncos would do? And then we can have some fun. Like, what if they don't stay at nine? They could move back or up. But if they're at nine, you got a guy you like at nine? Well, um, I, I think if if um, either Mac Jones or Justin Fields as quarterbacks, if they are there, I'd have to I'd have to do it. Okay. Um, also, if um, if the linebacker from Penn State, um, Micah Parsons, Mayor Micah Parsons, uh, I'd have to I have to explore that just because he he's a he's a game changing player and I think he's going to have a heck of a heck of a career in the NFL. Um, so those would be my choice if we decided to stay there. But if we decided to move back, then uh, hopefully we could get maybe a couple of first rounders or you know have a couple of first rounders next year. But uh, I'll probably look to get uh, either a corner or a safety or, and, and then we could probably get a linebacker. We got a linebacker at the University of Missouri. I can't think of his name right now. But Bolton, a, I think, Nick Bolton. That's right, Nick Bolton, man. He's about, you know, six feet tall, 230 pounds. Man, I like, like his him. game. Yeah, I like I his game. Yes. Uh, would you move up to a quarterback at four, five, six, seven? You know, is that given the holes in the roster, do you think maybe they got to be a little more reasonable and measured just because? it's such a risk to move up and then you're, you're going to give up at least one first round pick. Yeah. You know what? I, I just, I, I don't know, you know, um, because, you know, Drew Locke, I hear he's been working with Peyton Manning and yeah. that can't be, that's nothing but good. You know, I, I see, uh, you know, I, Peyton Manning, he, he's like one of the best, best to ever play this game. And I've seen him, you know, when he's, you know, talking to co- colleges and, uh, college coaches and maybe even some NFL coaches. And he just, he has a system for how he processes things. And if he can impart that to Peyton Matt, I'm sorry, to Drew Locke, then I think Drew Locke is going to be a much better quarterback. Um, and then, you know, second year in the same system, I think is going to help some. He's not, you know, just coming in right now, starting from ground zero. He's picking up where he left off. 
And uh, I, I think it can be a good thing. So um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that happens. Uh, and, and if it does, then, hey, we, maybe we don't need to get another quarterback. Maybe, you know, we can we can roll with with uh, Drew Locke and Brett Rippon and, uh, you know, and, and we'll be good with that. But if if for some reason that doesn't work out now, I mean. Before hearing the news of uh, Drew Locke was working out with Peyton Manning, I'm like, hey, absolutely. We got to we got to have somebody in here to compete with them. And I, I kind of kind of still have that feeling, but uh, hey, even if it's Brett Rippon, Brett Rippon may push him some. You know, Brett Rippon, you know, he he was a you know really good quarterback in college as well. So, um, you know, if we had to roll with those two, I, I'd be more than happy with that. And uh, you know, we just build our team up in other areas to where we're stronger. And then, hey, if it doesn't work out next year, we know what's uh, our number one priority is, is getting a quarterback. And hey, whatever we got to trade, we can trade it because. You know, we got we got the other position solidified. Yeah, and last thing, and again, I'm joined by Steve Atwater, the Hall of Famer, Steve hey. Atwater. So <laughs> I like that. This defense has a chance to be special. I think if the offense can keep the game close or even take leads, when you look at that defense with the addition of Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, Kareem Jackson's back, Justin uh. Simmons, and you got a healthy Von Miller to pair with Bradley Chubb and Malik <laughs> Reed. Is this a defense that could get them to the playoffs? I mean, when you see that defense uh, on paper, of course, injuries are always a part of this. But what do you see when you look at this defense, Steve? Oh, absolutely. I see the same thing. Uh, just a, a ton of talent across the board. Um, I think we could probably use another inside linebacker. And I, I think that will be addressed in the draft and hopefully at some point. Um, but everywhere else, I, I think they're they're extremely solid. Uh, the the D-line is looking better. The you know, the corners, safeties, and, um, you know, yeah, with Vaughn and, and, and uh, Bradley Chubb on the edge with Malik Reed, man, that's, <laughs> that's a superstar squad right there. And, um, but the only thing is, eventually you got to score points, you know, right. regardless of how good your defense is, unless they're just going to be intercepting passes and, <laughs> and causing fumbles and running them back for touchdowns, the offense is going to have to put some points on the board. And, you know, uh, what we did last year is just, it's, it's, it's not good enough. And, you know, I'm sure everybody in that building knows that. And, uh, you know, they're going to be looking to make sure that uh, this year is 180 degree different from last year. Yeah. I think this is the hope that it's been five years without the playoffs, four straight losing seasons. It feels like this year they got a chance to turn that around. Regardless, there will be great news for Bronco fans when we're in Canton in August <laughs> to see the induction of, you know, of course, Peyton Manning and John Lynch, but I will have a special place in my heart to see the induction of Steve Atwater, someone I've, you know, getting the chance to work with you the last two years, regardless of the team's record, has been an honor and a privilege, my man. Hey, well, thank you, Troy. Same here, man. You, you're a great guy, great family man, and uh, man, we got great chemistry. We get along extremely well, man. I consider you one of my one of my good friends, and I appreciate you. Thanks for joining me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back uh We'll talk a little more Broncos here on the Broncos Believe podcast, but that was our first guest on the podcast, none other than the Hall of Famer, Steve Atwood. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.